At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. Giuliani has offered to flip. Maybe a half flip, maybe a pre-flip, almost certainly not to flip against Trump, maybe even to flip in a way to protect Trump and, of course, himself by giving up everybody else and steering prosecutors in different directions. But apply all the caveats you want to. It is still a flip. The New York Times writing that the previously vaguely reported, quote, voluntary interview of Giuliani by federal prosecutors was last week, and it was a proffer, essentially a legal audition in which a key figure in a case tries to talk prosecutors out of charges against them by showing what they could testify about about others. And the Times did not use the word flip, and none of the other reporters analyzing the Times story used the word flip, so nobody is recognizing it for what it is. Exactly what could Rudy Giuliani, Trump's lead overthrow the election lawyer Rudy Giuliani, exactly what could he be showing prosecutors that he could testify about? I mean, he didn't go up to them and say, tell Smith I can give you Jenna Ellis. And even if he did not say, tell Smith I can give you Trump... We can easily forget that four decades and many more ethical collapses ago, Rudy Giuliani was a federal prosecutor. He knows which way the wind is blowing and which way the mascara is running. And he's looking out for his mascara and his wind. It is certainly possible he did not say, tell Smith, I can give you Trump. Almost certainly, certainly. But it's not like he said, tell Smith, I can give him Joe Biden. And it's clearly, tell Smith I can give him what he needs on almost anybody except me. 
The Times is explicit. The proffer meeting last week was with, quote, federal prosecutors investigating Mr. Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election, people familiar with the matter said. And then in the fourth paragraph, Haberman, Foyer and protests write... The appearance was entirely voluntary and conducted in a professional manner, said Ted Goodman, a political advisor to Mr. Giuliani, unquote. Gosh, I wonder who those people familiar with the matter are. This is a Giuliani leak of a Giuliani flip. The Times also has what, under the proper protection, that whatever he told them in that interview will not be used against him unless it turns out he is lying. Prosecutors asked him about, one, about the plan to create fake slates of pro-Trump electors. Two, quote, they focused specifically on the role played in that effort by John Eastman, unquote. Three, quote, Giuliani also discussed Sidney Powell. Four, quote, Ms. Powell also took part in a meeting in the Oval Office in December 2020, during which Trump was presented with a brazen plan opposed by Giuliani to use the military to seize control of voting machines and rerun the election. Five, quote, prosecutors further asked Giuliani about the scene at the Willard Hotel days before the attack on the Capitol. And the group of conspirators gathered there. The Times named Eastman, Boris Epstein, and Steve Bannon. CBS News, which does not use that telltale term proffer, also says he was asked about Jeffrey, can I put my pants on, Clark, and... Six, CBS had one other detail which reads, quote, the special counsel did not indicate that Giuliani is a subject of the investigation and his team does not believe he is, which may or may not be true. But it also raises the question, why in the hell would he be trading information to the special prosecutor for something to be named later as a potential immunity deal? Hi, nice to meet you. I'm Rudy. I'm a good citizen. Don't prosecute me. So probably Rudy didn't offer to flip on Trump yet. Just absolutely everybody else around Trump during each part of the coup. The electors scam, the recount and fundraising scam, the seize the voting machines plan, the Willard Hotel war room, the preparations for the attack on the House and the Senate. Rudy in New Hampshire last night for a live Twitter video and still pumping Trump's lead over DeSantis may be able to convince himself that offering to testify for the prosecution about Bannon, Clark, Eastman, Epstein, Sidney Powell, and God knows who else will not be seen by Trump as betrayal. But Trump is simply not subtle nor nuanced about stuff like this. To Trump, yeah, okay, the others are fungible. Boris Epstein is not fungible to Donald Trump. If Giuliani went into prosecutors and talked about the Willard Hotel meeting and Epstein and did not somehow manage to clear Epstein, how does Trump accept the idea that Rudy Giuliani is a little bit pregnant as a witness for the prosecution? The goal here is Trump. You are helping them to the goal. Moreover, Time and time again throughout American criminal history, especially American political criminal history, key witnesses have changed sides while telling themselves they were not giving up their guy. And then once they saw how much trouble there was and how much more protection they would gain from giving up their guy, guess what? They gave up their guy. 
When it was time to get immunity for his role in Watergate, my friend John Dean's starting point was, according to the almost giggling reminiscence of his attorney, Charlie Schaffer, we can't talk about the P, the P, John Dean's shorthand for President Nixon. Rudy has offered to flip. And we now also have a name and a face to put on the other person the special counsel contends Trump shared classified stuff with. It's Susie Wiles, W-I-L-E-S, and sources told ABC News that the reference to a PAC representative identified in the indictment to whom Trump allegedly showed a classified map weeks after he showed two or three of his aides and the two Mark Meadows publishers the Millie Iran battle plans. That's her, Susie Wiles. Not much more to their story beyond that, except for the possibility that Susie Wiles, ex-chief of Trump's 2016 Florida operation, later CEO of Trump's Save America PAC, could be a witness in this case while she is Trump's 2024 campaign manager. As ABC notes, he has not named a campaign manager yet. She is one of three people in de facto charge of the campaign now, and she could get the solo job. You may recall that in the indictment, Trump is talking to the unidentified PAC representative about a military operation that he said, quote, was not going well and warned her that he, quote, should not be showing the map. So she had to make sure to, quote, not to get too close to the map, which is Trump through and through. If you have good eyesight, you can see the map from there. And while the swelling continues to go down nearly 72 hours after the release of the Trump confession tape, an important observation by Philip Bump of The Washington Post that just like the actual tape had more to it, Trump saying, isn't this cool, than the Jack Smith transcript of the tape had included, it is also clear now that whoever transcribed it for the prosecution has made a significant mistake in transcription. The transcript has Trump saying, we could probably write, and the staffer says, I don't know, we'll have to see. Yeah, we'll have to try to figure out, uh, Trump says, declassify. See, as president, I could have declassified it. Now I can't, you know, but this is still a secret, except as Bump notes, clearly Trump does not say this is still a secret. Listen to that part of it very carefully. It's probably good. I know. We'll, we'll have to see. Yeah, we'll have to try to figure out a, a yeah. See, as president, I could have declassified yeah. Now I can't, you know, but this is yeah, close. Yeah. That is not Trump saying this is still a secret. That is Trump saying, but this is classified. There is a huge difference between those two things. A secret is seventh grade and Becky Nelson. Classified is up to 10 years in jail. But this is classified. That makes me wonder how such a big mistake could have been made by prosecutors, especially when it's a mistake that hurts their case. The only thing I can figure is we know there are two different recordings of that confession and the recording that was leaked on Monday must not be the one prosecutors have, or at least not the one they transcribed from. Two iPhones on a desk will produce different clarity depending on where everybody's speaking is positioned at any given moment. It may have been clear on one recording and not on the other 
And somehow the one on which it was clear got released to the public and the one that it wasn't clear on got released to Jack Smith. And that leads into another true bit of speculation that I offered here Tuesday. Remember when I said it could be worse for Trump only in one way if there were a video? And I noted that assumes there isn't video. A friend noted last night that in his first interview Tuesday with Fox about what he was heard saying on the tape, Trump's comment was, quote, what did I say wrong on those recordings? I didn't even see the recording. Wait, he didn't even see it? It's an audio tape. It's a recording, an audio recording. It's not video. What is there to see? It's not video. Isn't it? I still think, yes, it's only audio. Two microphones. You know, maybe we could simulate stereo and put it out as an LP. Trump does say weird stuff like this all the time where he conflates human senses. I didn't even see the recording could easily mean I didn't even consume or process the recording. Or, or, there's also a video here and we haven't seen that yet. couple of other Trump confession tape-related notes. The Times had another story about the special counsel subpoenaing Trump surveillance footage from Bedminster, where, of course, the confession tape drama played out. They, quote, fought a pitched battle with Mr. Trump's lawyers late last year over how best to search the New Jersey property. And the ex-Trump mouthpiece, Tim Parlatori, told CNN that Boris Epstein... You know, one of the guys Giuliani is singing about, Boris Epstein, quote, attempted to interfere with the Bedminster search, according to Parlatori. This goes back to the theory from Ryan Goodman of Just Security that there will be another round of Trump indictments stemming from the brandishing of the Millie Iran document in Bedminster. It also refutes the Trump apologists' nonsense that the confession tape is irrelevant because Trump has not been specifically indicted for the Millie document. Firstly, that audio goes to prove Trump revealed stuff like this all the time. Secondly, he hasn't been charged for revealing the Millie plan? Give Jack Smith a little time on that, won't you? And there is another ancillary story here, and I missed it as it happened in Real Time Tuesday, and it is from the Judge Michael Luttig, the conservative who has been more personally pained by the last eight years even than Liz Cheney. Luttig brought us back to the likelihood of Trump being indicted for the fake electors scheme via a very unexpected path, via the Supreme Court ruling on Moore v. Harper. We know, Judge Luttig told CNN, the independent state legislature theory was the centerpiece of that effort to overturn the 2020 presidential election. If I were Jack Smith or the attorney general of the United States, the judge said, I believe I would have needed that decision from the Supreme Court of the United States in order to proceed with charges against the former president and his allies and compatriots in connection with the January 6th events, unquote. In other words, Luddick thinks Smith was delaying a decision on indicting on the fake electors scheme until the Supreme Court deciding on a case that might have lent validity to the premise that states could overrule their own voters any damn way they pleased and sent in their own electors as they so desired. Happily, the court ruled against independent state legislature theory and thus 
Luddick didn't say this, but one has to infer that Luddick thinks that Smith will now, yeah, proceed. Two other Trump notes. Dementia J. Trump sued E. Jean Carroll back yesterday, claiming she defamed him after the Manhattan jury ruled he was liable to the amount of $5 million for sexually abusing her. Carroll went on CNN the day of that verdict and was asked about the jury's decision that Trump was not liable for raping her. She said, quote, oh, yes, he did. Oh, yes, he did. And Trump now claims that is her defaming him. This leads me to repeat something I have heard from every lawyer I have ever talked to about approximately anything. How in the hell does Donald Trump prove that anything that anybody has said about him could possibly damage his reputation? What reputation would that be? And the last punchline to the whole day, Trump had yet another online meltdown about something new. Quote, three people in New Hampshire asked me why Fox News uses such horrible pictures of me when doing or promoting a story. The coloring, distortions, everything are just so bad. Donald, sorry, but that's your face. Also of interest to us here, Trump's Trojan horse, RFK Jr., crashes and burns. If you are trying to avoid being found out as a Trojan horse, as a chaos agent, so out of control, there is concern you might be part of this year's Russian surprise. Do not, do not try to sell merch from the campaign by putting out a tweet with a photo of a woman onto whom you have photoshopped a Kennedy 2024 hoodie without also photoshopping all the building signs and street signs seen behind her so they don't show all the names and words on the streets and the signs in Russian. Hell, the damn hoodie might as well say, that's next, this is Countdown. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Countdown with Keith Oberman. Postscripts to the news, some headlines, some updates, some snarks, some predictions. Dateline Clearwater, Florida, and the performance artist and former strip club cocktail waitress who calls herself Congresswoman Anna Paulina Luna, the esteemed representative of the Florida 13th Congressional District. She was born Anna Paulina Mayerhofer, and her mother's maiden name was Todd, and at various times she's claimed she was raised as a Messianic Jew or that all of her family is from Mexico or and that her grandmother was a heroin addict who died from AIDS, but she was raised in the welfare system, and she had nannies, and her uncle questioned her biography, so she tried to get an injunction against him for stalking. She's George Santos in a dress. Well, George Santos is George Santos in a dress. I'm speaking metaphorically. Anywho, Luna is setting herself up far to the right of the Boberts and the Greens, and one of her first targets is any right to abortion, and another is strong opposition to the use of human stem cells in medical research. She gave an interview with One America News two years ago in which she said of some stem cell use, quote, it's not okay, it's morally wrong, it's not done in the name of science, and frankly, if you're going to do human testing, that makes us no better than Nazis, unquote. Well, the Congressional Financial Disclosures of Anna, Paulina, Todd, Mayerhofer, Gamborski, Luna are out, and the website Raw Story has reviewed them, and it reports that Luna's husband has a stock investment of between $1,000 and $15,000 in lineage cell therapeutics. And what do they do over there at Lineage Cell Therapeutics? Why, the company says it is pioneering a new branch of medicine based on transplanting specific cell types to patients with serious medical conditions. And where does it get said cell types, do you suppose? Find them on the street, do they? No, they get them from human embryos. The Congresswoman is avoiding comments. Thank you, Nancy Faust. Dateline Los Angeles lets meet Manuel Johnson. Now, your big-time screwball Bible streaming shows and newscasts, your Laura Ingrams and your One America Newses and your 700 Clubs, they can get your top-shelf profits as guests on their shows, the ones who actually talk to God. The Julie Greens and the pastor Mark Burns's and Pat Robertson before he croaked, those types, they go on those shows. The lesser shows, like those of... Kelsey O'Malley, who is on Facebook and has 2,500 followers, she's stuck with Prophet Manuel Johnson. I don't know what he claims, but I'm telling you, he does not talk to God. Maybe, maybe he gets CC'd on God's emails, who knows? But he winds up on Kelsey O'Malley's show talking about how a bunch of the B-grade evangelicals went out to Mount Rushmore because they just knew that Trump's face while not carved there in the stone, is carved there in the spirits. They have a photo, not at all doctored, of Trump's face drawn on a cloud.
You can tell it's Trump because he's also holding up our plans to bomb Tehran. Anyway, we think Manuel Johnson and his crew went to Mount Rushmore because Mount Rushmore is not what he said to Kelsey O'Malley. We had to go to Rush Mountain. And I do show a picture there because it has something to do. Did you hear it? We had to go to Rush Mountain. Rush Mountmore. They saw Trump's head above the carvings at Rush Mountmore. As preserved for us by the good folks at People for the American Way's Right Wing Watch. Rush Mountmore. You remember, that was one of Rush Limbaugh's nicknames. And what did your genial host, Kelsey O'Malley, Think of all this. His face may not be carved there in stone, but it is carved there in the spirit. Mm, wow. Well said, Kelsey O'Malley. Wow, indeed. Praise the Lord and say wow to Rush Moutmore. ahead he had demanded we change something in the format of countdown we did it once it wasted about uh, i don't know about a thousand man hours in one afternoon and it was impossible to do it again and the staff threatened to work walk away so we just dropped it not only did he never notice that we dropped it but a year later he still believed that that format change the one he demanded was the reason the show had become successful it's a story i still don't believe about a guy i still don't believe was actually the president of msnbc and cnn coming up first the daily roundup of the miscreants morons and dunning kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world the bronze robert f kennedy jr the unstable man being manipulated by right wingers to run a trojan horse vaxxer and conspiracy theory campaign challenging biden for the democratic nomination if you have any questions about what this is all about or who might be behind it, they were answered yesterday afternoon when the campaign tweeted out a promotion for Kennedy campaign merchandise, complete with a photo of a young woman walking down a street in a Kennedy 2024 hoodie. But there was something odd about the images behind the young woman, a coffee shop with strange lettering on the sign, street signs with equally strange lettering, and then in the replies, the same photo was shown only that same woman in that same photo was wearing a hoodie with a word on it in Cyrillic letters. Huh. It's a stock photo, a Russian stock photo with a Kennedy logo superimposed over the Russian logo on the hoodie. The campaign deleted the tweet without explanation. They should delete the goddamn campaign without explanation. The runners-up, wacko Congressman Nancy Mace of South Carolina congratulating a local bus system on getting $25 million in federal funding, which she fails to mention she voted against when it appeared in the Biden 2021 infrastructure bill that provided all the money. Alabama Senator Tommy, I'm all ears, Tuberville did the same thing, tweeting, broadband is vital for the success of our rural communities. Great to see Alabama receive crucial funds. He too voted against it in the Senate. But unlike Mace, President Biden did not let him waltz away from this. Biden subtweeted him. 12,000 retweets, 75,000 likes. Biden's message to Tuberville, see you at the groundbreaking. I'm all ears. 
But our winner, Grant Haber of Kenilon, New Jersey. Town officials there say Haber thought that that grove of 32 large trees just ruined his clear view of how the sunrise would light up the distant New York City skyline like so much gold. So he had the 32 tall trees, some of them 150 years old, cut down, which is a pretty damned obnoxious thing to do. Then again, Mr. Haber founded his own munitions company, American Innovations, and he has been a guest on One American News. But wait, it's worse than this. Those were not his trees on his seven-acre mountaintop property in Jersey. Those were his neighbor's trees. Fully one-quarter of the trees on the property of his neighbor, Sami Shinway, who says he is heartbroken. And of course, naturally, Mr. Shinway also says he volunteers with the New Jersey State Woodland Management Program. The town contends this Haber guy hired somebody to cut the trees down and just left them there. So far, the city has charged him with nine counts of illegal tree removal, and the online hearing Tuesday was so packed there was a lengthy delay to sign on, and the prosecutor couldn't even sign on. The hearing's been delayed till July 18th while they work on more bandwidth, Senator Tuberville. Anyway, Haber could be fined $1,000 per felled tree, plus charged with replacing them with transplanted trees of similar heights. Because the trees were far in from the street, a neighbor believes that a temporary road will have to be built on Haber's property just to get the 32 partially grown replacement trees to the location of the arboricide. And between the cost of that new road and the new trees and the two years of maintenance also required by the law there, Mr. Haber may wind up paying as much as $1,800,000. Grant, guess that's what they mean when they say the view is priceless. Haber, today's worst person in the world, At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Just ahead, somebody asked me yesterday why so many TV executives seem to be idiots. I answered, seem? I tried to explain. The best I could do was explain that none of them seemed to understand that you couldn't always make people or things successful on TV. So instead, all the executives try to project this image of infallible, inscrutable genius. And then I said, never mind that. Let me just tell you about one of the many stories I know about the former CNN and MSNBC president, Rick Kaplan. I'll tell you that story next. First time to feature another dog in need that you can help. Every dog has its day. Duke is a handsome, black and tan, neutered, four-year-old Doberman Pinscher. He is immaculately behaved and very obedient, and he will do anything for praise and affection. Better if he lives with calm, large dogs or no other dogs, but most importantly, better if he lives. He's on the kill list right now at yet another overcrowded shelter, ready to end his life because for some reason he is unhappy in, well, death row at a prison. He's at the Baldwin Park Animal Care Center in California. He can be adopted from there, or your pledges can help defray the cost for a rescue to pull him out and save him. Look for Duke on my Twitter feeds, and your retweet will really help, too. I thank you, and Duke thanks you. Finally, to the number one story on the countdown, and my favorite topic, me, and things I promised not to tell. And tomorrow is 17 years since this former MSNBC president, Rick Kaplan, the guy who once chased me around the studios threatening to kill me because he was squeamish and I had mentioned blood on the air, blew any remaining credibility he had with us because he didn't know what was live and what was on delay. However, this story starts in the men's room at MSNBC. It is February 17th, 2004. At one of those moronic corporate-speak town halls, the bosses have just introduced Rick Kaplan as the new president of the network. Kaplan speaks for an hour without interruption or breath. He does not mention that he was the president of CNN when its 19-year streak at number one in the cable news ratings came to a crashing end. He does, however, mention that he is six feet seven inches tall, but he does not seem to be six feet seven inches tall. As this nonsense ends, I rush into the men's room and find, to my amusement, Joe Scarborough, Chris Matthews, Jesse Ventura, Lester Holt, and one unoccupied urinal. As I move to occupy it, it dawns on me that Ventura, the former professional wrestler, is the shortest man in the bathroom at six feet two. All five of us are silent. Finally, Matthews says it. How in the hell can he say he's six foot seven? He's barely taller than I am, and I'm six four. Overman, are you slightly taller than me or slightly shorter than me? How, how is he six seven? Everybody keeps looking forward, of course, into the wall in front of us. I'm six three and a half. Lester, he's your height. I saw you standing with him. You two are even. What are you, six five? Lester says, uh huh, and flushes. Scarborough chimes in. Oh, I'm just over 6'4". We're almost eye to eye. He's not 6'7". Finally, Ventura speaks. I've been thrown around a ring by guys who are 6'7". This guy's not 6'7". From the sink, 
Lester Holt now says, have any of you known anybody our height who lies and says they are taller? Matthews again, who lies about their height? I flush. This guy does. Gentlemen, we are in trouble here. For the presidency of Rick Kaplan at MSNBC, that might have been, sorry, I can't resist it, the high water mark. Later, on Friday, March 5th, 2004, Kaplan, who had been there three weeks, assembled the hosts and producers of the primetime shows on the network. That would have been me, Scarborough, Dan Abrams, our staffs, the New Jersey staff of Chris Matthews' show, and he told us that the next day was going to be Monday. Somebody from Scarborough's staff helpfully corrected him. Mr. Kaplan, I'm sorry, tomorrow is Saturday. Kaplan sternly explained he was now president of this network and we all sucked. And if he said today was Friday and tomorrow was Monday, then today was Friday and tomorrow was Monday. He wanted to see us react to sudden changes in our plans. We were being told we were being called into work a sixth day tomorrow for no reason. Kaplan then started yelling at us. You guys don't get it. You're all working tomorrow. Anybody who doesn't come in is fired. We're going to do the whole pro primetime lineup. Your breaking news is today's breaking news. The guilty verdict in the Martha Stewart case. Start booking your guests because tomorrow is Monday, not Saturday. Just on my staff, Saturday was supposed to be my reporter's engagement party a surprise party thrown by one of my producers for his wife's birthday, and the day another producer was closing on buying a house. I have a vague memory of what we put on the air. I have a stronger memory of the new president of MSNBC losing the staffs of all four of his primetime shows on his fifth day on the job and never, ever getting them back. Kaplan then went to a cork board on our office wall on which our show rundown was displayed. He ordered producers to move segments around, and he berated me for not having anticipated his whims. And at one point, he screamed, Stop! What the hell are you doing? And he got up and he grabbed the push pin, which held up an index card bearing the name of a guest. You don't use green pins with yellow index cards. You use yellow pins with yellow index cards. What kind of a newsman are you? Can't imagine how this guy choked away CNN's monopoly on cable news ratings. I was reminded recently that later on, December 8th, 2005, 17 years ago tomorrow, he did one of the most unintentionally funniest things I have ever witnessed. A plane slid off the runway at Midway Airport in Chicago. Nothing funny about that, obviously. But Kaplan called into our control room demanding we changed something about our live coverage that he didn't like. We promptly made the change. He was right. Five minutes later, he called in and started swearing at one of our producers. I told you to change that. F you. You're fired. And the producer said, we changed it five minutes ago when you called in. Silence. Rick, are you watching the network on some sort of delay? Uh, are you watching on TiVo or something? Silence again. Finally, he said, okay, good work. See you tomorrow, and hung up. He didn't know he was watching it on a delay. Kaplan was also one of these, forget the mean thing I said yesterday, God knows I have kind of guys. By Monday, he had heard people laughing at some of my on-air jokes, and his front-runner instincts took over. He called me and the producer in for a meeting. I have only one criticism of your show. The which of these stories will you be talking about thing is genius. 
the fifth story, the fourth story, then the third story. It's original and fresh. I hesitated. I almost said to him, yeah, this whole counting thing, we just invented that. The music is genius. The graphics are genius. You're genius. But you're missing something obvious, something genius. After each one of these stories, after you thank your guest, you should do a list of the things you didn't tell us about those stories. So, so like after the fifth story, you should say, now here are the other five things we didn't tell you about the fifth story. Get it? A full screen graphic and you telling people. And then four things for the fourth story and, and, and three for the third I thought for a moment, and I said, okay, but what happens if we make those graphics up, and then a minute beforehand, the guest brings up one of those things we claim we didn't tell you when he just told you? We had lost Rick Kaplan's attention by that point. Hmm? He grunted. For a second, I thought his eyes were pointing outwards in different directions, but he snapped himself back into this reality. Huh? Could happen. You'll figure it out. Anyway, too late to do it today. Figure it out and do it tomorrow. Thanks. Uh, the producer and I had to then explain to the staff of Countdown that from now on, for every story, they had to deliberately leave out one or two or three or four or five facts or details. Something interesting enough to be made into a full screen graphic, but not interesting enough to be included in their scripts or the interviews with the guests. Suddenly, I thought a lot of people's eyes were pointing outwards in different directions. The line producer, Greg Kordick, who was in charge not of content but of timing things and making sure things like graphics got made, said matter-of-factly, this will add five hours to everybody's workday. And so it did. After the next day's show, when we listed the top five things we didn't tell you about today's fifth story and the top four things we didn't tell you about today's fourth story, etc., and we had to shorten all the scripts and shorten each interview just to make room for all of this extraneous crap, Greg, the producer, said... People here will be quitting by Thursday and dying by Monday. And I said, you're right. Plus, it ruins the interviews and it weakens the show. Don't do it tomorrow. If Kaplan yells, I'll take the heat. So now it's Wednesday. And not only don't I hear anything from Kaplan about the Tuesday show and his the top five things we didn't tell you about today's fifth story jazz. But after the Wednesday show, when we don't do it, I'm sitting there waiting for an enraged phone call because we didn't. Thursday morning at home, I'm waiting for an enraged email Thursday afternoon, I'm waiting for an enraged Kaplan in person. Nothing. He never said a word. A week passes. Nothing. A month. Two months. It's summer. Nothing. The rest of 2004 flies by. Nothing. We did it once. We never did it. Again. And then he never said anything. It is now January 2005, and he still hasn't said anything, and I'm told by Phil Griffin, my first producer in television sports, and 16 years my later, my first producer in television news, who has since become the vice president of MSNBC, that Kaplan wants to see us in his office. It's not a big deal, Phil says. He's in a good mood. He just wants to make us feel like we have input into his decisions. This is a what-do-you-think meeting. Now, I have to ask you to carefully picture the layout of Rick Kaplan's office at MSNBC in the year 2005. Envision a long, narrow room. Baseball's MLB network now operates there, and they have cleverly turned Kaplan's office into a wardrobe room. Perfect, since it was really just a long closet anyways. Rick Kaplan, who was six foot five but lied and said he was six foot seven, sat at the very back of this room. So you come in the front door, you turn to your right, and maybe 
30, 35, 40 feet away from you in the farthest corner, facing his computer on his desk, flush against the left-hand wall, is the president of MSNBC. A few feet into the room is where you sit. Halfway between these two points, against the right-hand wall, is where another executive can sit. So Phil Griffin sits there. I'm just inside the door. He is 15 feet ahead of me to the right. Rick Kaplan is 30 feet or 40 feet ahead of me to the left. Picture this carefully. The way these chairs and desks are arranged. If you're me and Phil Griffin is looking at you, Rick Kaplan can only see the back of Phil Griffin's head and not his face. If they are both looking at you, they cannot see each other. Weird, seemingly trivial, turned out to be essential. We begin this meaningless meeting and talk about guests and graphics fonts, and Kaplan talks about how much the ratings have gone up in his year as president. And finally, I say, I do have one suggestion. I think the show is going to be very successful, and I think if we want to make any changes, we should make them now before it becomes successful. And I say, I have never heard anybody say they like the fifth story, fourth story, third story stuff. If you want to continue the name countdown because people know it by now, uh, that's great, I guess. But the 54321 numbering is a conceit, and it's a lot of extra work for everybody, and I think we should kill it now. Kaplan is aghast. He is pale. He is not angry. He is just stunned. But you can't do that. 54321 is, is part of the reasons the ratings went up. The, the ratings went up when I came up with the idea of the top five things we didn't tell you about today's top five stories. And the top four things we didn't tell you about today's number four story, etc. We can't stop that. That's why people watch my idea. It took me a split second to even remember what the hell it was he was talking about. I had forgotten the whole five things we didn't tell you, Albatross, weeks after the one show we did it, and then the staff rebelled, and I said, screw it, and I'll take the heat. And I was about to say this out loud when I suddenly realized that Phil Griffin, 15 feet away on the right, his face turned to me and thus invisible to Kaplan, 30 feet away on the left, was making his eyes as wide as possible, and Phil was looking right at me and silently mouthing the word, no, 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 all the while keeping his head completely still so Kaplan didn't know he was talking to me silently. I got Phil's message. I dropped the subject. I didn't say it. The meeting ended maybe two minutes later with Kaplan saying, keep up the good work and ushering us out by saying, and keep up with the top five things we didn't tell you about today's five, fifth story. Uh, that's what's making it really cook. When we were out of earshot of Rick Kaplan, Griffin thanked me for being able to read his panicked lips. I used an oath to liven up my question. What the blank was that all about? And Griffin said, now you know what every day of my life has become. It's not worth it to try to correct him. He believes what he believes, and, and he won't be checked or contradicted. And I said, but we only did the five things we didn't tell you thing once. Only once. It's like a year later. How in the hell could he possibly think we're still doing it? Griffin laughed like a soldier on a World War I battlefield who has just run out of bullets. See, that's the problem, buddy. He only watches MSNBC here in the office. The place he's renting, it doesn't have cable. 
president of MSNBC doesn't have cable at home. On June 6th, 2006, they fired Rick Kaplan as the president of MSNBC. They let him resign. They also let him keep his secret, the darkest of secrets for him and for MSNBC, that for his two years on the throne, the president of an all-news cable channel did not have cable. done all the damage I can do here. Thank you for listening. Here are the credits. Most of the music arranged, produced, and performed by Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel, who are the Countdown Musical Directors. Guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray. All orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel. Produced by TKO Brothers. Other selections, including the Beethoven music we use for the dog stories, has been arranged and performed by the group No Horns Allowed. The sports music is the Ulberman theme from ESPN2. It was written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN Incorporated. Musical comments from Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was my friend Larry David. Everything else is pretty much my fault. So that's Countdown for this, the 905th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Arrest him again while we still can. The next scheduled Countdown is tomorrow. Till then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. We had to go to Rush Mountain. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month no matter what kind of entertainment you love addicted to true crime catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on a e crime central crave adventure explore asian action movies on hayah searching for something extreme check out skating snowboarding and more on fuel tv plus the global home of action sports and find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's hit nation playlist there's new free shows and movies to love every week say free this week in your xfinity voice remote